It's December 7th, 2016, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and, of course, startup scene. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. To kick off today's show, we're going to talk to Millie James from the Hawaii Venture Capital Association. She returns to let us know about their upcoming lunch, and this one featuring Governor David Ige. After that, Cindy Mitsuki also returns to join us for an update on the Tech Hire Initiative. And then after the break, we'll learn about a unique collaboration between the Association for Unmanned Ve- uh, Vehicle Systems International uh, and the foundation that supports that. And, of course, the Polynesian Voyaging Society. It's called RoboNation. And we'll talk to Janelle Curtis and Mickey Tomita, and they're here to tell us all about it. What is the intersection between STEM, underwater robotics, and traditional Polynesian wayfaring? We also welcome your comments and questions as part of that conversation. You can contact us by calling in or sending us a tweet after the break. And, of course, uh, Mele joins us. And, of course, uh, we have a name on a chair for her, but uh, she chose to call in <laughs> It's today. the Mele James chair it's of a, Bite yeah, Marks Cafe. That's yes, right, yeah. And, uh, but... Uh, because of her busy schedule, she decided to give us a call and tell us about the upcoming Hawaii Venture Capital Association lunch. Welcome to the show, Millie. Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Ryan. Sorry I couldn't be there in person to, to you know, add another indention into my chair. Another notch, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I want to talk real, really quickly about the Hawaii Venture Capital Association luncheon coming up on December 12th, which is a Monday, which is kind of rare for us to be doing a lunch hmm. on a Monday at the Plaza Club. And this is really on the state of the Startup Paradise and what's going on. Um, the initiative, the Startup Paradise initiative, launched in 2013 as the official launch. It's been, you know, a few years. It's been three years. And really taking a hard look at, you know, what's worked. What hasn't? You know, where 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 are we at now, and what's still missing? And we're extremely excited that Governor Ige has committed to do a keynote speech as well as participate on the panel, um, as he is really dedicated to helping the innovation sector and building that and supporting it. Well, that's that's great, Millie, and you know, I know. You are a, a great moderator, and I think uh, you will ask some very insightful questions. I would, I would imagine that the sort of the routine would be that each one would get up and, and say something, right, about their sort of view of things, and then you will start to maybe drill into what exactly are some of the, uh, let's say, success measurements. Is that the, is that the uh, general plan? Absolutely. So, you know, obviously Governor Ige is, Coming from this, from a governor, uh, a government perspective, and, and also representing DBED, um, but also looking at it, Tarek Sultan um, from Sultan Ventures and Accelerate UH is putting together a really, really interesting report, kind of covering all the accelerators, really from the ground up. Uh, who are these startups? You know, how much have we invested in these companies? Where are they at now? How much follow-on funding have they attracted? And um, he's going to have some really interesting stats that he's bringing to the table to really represent, again, from the ground up, these, who these startups are and the accelerators that are helping these startups from the ground level. Um, Shanoa will be doing some reporting as well, um, more around the Hawaii Angels and some of the angel network investing that's happening. Um, Priscilla Sirmos, Vice President for Research and Innovation at the University of Hawaii, is going to be speaking at this more from a very high-level at the university and their support with the innovation initiative, um, as well as, of course, um, Accelerate UH 
um, and, and PACE and, and all the great things that are happening at the university. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then Pono Chong is on there as the VP of Business Advocacy and Development from the Chamber of Commerce to really look at, you know, what's going on um, from a corporate perspective, from business. Um, how They've been incredibly crucial with helping us, um, you know, getting certain bills passed. And, and helping us, you know, be represented in that way. So I think it's going to be a really robust discussion, and, and really on a macro level, um, what's going on. So we specifically didn't want to have anyone on the panel that's like a d- direct support organization. Um, this isn't really meant to say, oh yeah, it's so great, Startup Paradise is so great. It's, it's also meant to just take a really deep look at like what's going on, like where are we at in three years with this initiative. You know, um, Bite Marks Cafe has been around for about eight years, more than eight years. And, uh, you know, from our earliest conversations where the startup ecosystem wouldn't even be words we would necessarily be able to string together uh, and and find speakers on way back then to where we are now, where Startup Paradise is this this very a broad ecosystem of players. I think that it's very impressive to see that uh, evolution. But I'm glad to hear you say that, you know, we're not going to be coming in for a victory lap, that we are very early on in this evolution and that there are still some tough questions, perhaps even uh, legitimate uh, skepticism or even criticism of what's going on. But uh, tell me a little bit more about uh, Tariq Sultan's uh, report in terms of what what are some of the things that he's been able to, without giving away the best nuggets of wisdom, what are some of the things that we'll be hearing about in terms of his evaluation of the health of this, this innovation ecosystem? Yeah, so I don't know. I know he's doing a lot, and he's been working pretty hard on this for, for a few weeks now, but really looking at getting some hard data from all of the accelerators, specifically around you know, the number of startups that they've invested in, which years they've invested in them, how much money they've specifically been able to attract, and looking at this trajectory of, of, of as we're on pace, right? So looking at how early stage these accelerators are investing in these companies, you know, we haven't had a big exit yet from one of the accelerators. You know, we, we, don't, we don't see one happening um, for another year or two, right? So we're still on pace where... You know, looking at some of the investments we're making today, we don't expect to see an exit for the next, you know, three to five years. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are on pace, and we look at that success as to how much funding they're able to attract. Are they attracting smart money, additional investment, continuing on that trajectory to, at some point, have an acquisition, an IPO, you know, some type of exit? Um, so that he's looking at those types of things and really slicing and dicing um, from a very analytical perspective, where are we really at? Um, and that's kind of an interesting point you brought up, Ryan, where, you know, we're looking at, you know, this isn't like a to hurrah, like a big seller, like a victory loop. It's, you know, taking a really hard look at what's still missing, what's worked, mm-hmm. what hasn't, and what's missing. Because if we can identify that in a very real way, we can start making adjustments and putting efforts towards those areas that are still missing to start making, you know, bigger leaps and bounds in terms of, accelerating that process of, of where we need to be ultimately to create a real startup paradise here in Hawaii. Well, that's um, that's great, and that's something that I think is definitely needed, especially going into the next uh, legislative session. Mm-hmm. Now, with uh, with Tarek's uh, report, will you be able to – will Tarek be doing a presentation, or will he also be uh, distributing his report uh, to the attendees or to you know to the public, I guess, via the, via the web or something? Is his report going to be uh, made um, accessible? Yes, so it's not a full-on report, so I don't want to, you know, (laughs) 
I don't want to sell it as some hundred page, you know, sure, state sure. of the state report. Well, we'll settle this for is, fifty. It's really more around <laughs> statistics, um, and, and in a very in a way that actually makes sense. Okay. Um, as to where we're at, and and that will be available on the HDCA website as well as Golden Ventures website. No, that's that's great, and then. Uh, I, I guess in typical fashion, uh, you will open it up to questions from the audience. So if the audience want to drill into any aspect of whether the re- it's a report or other people uh, and their presentations, uh, they, they have the ability to do that. Absolutely. Well, very good. So we'll when's the uh, meeting? Yeah. So when, oh, uh, when for, is before the... Before you wrap up. Yes. Before you wrap up. I also want to, everyone listening, to please, we have our HBCA Deal of the Year and Entrepreneur ah, yes, right. Award coming up February 23rd at Wildlife Country Club. This is our 17th annual. HBCA has been around um, for close to 30 years, um, and this is our 17th annual award to really celebrate the great successes and innovation. So we're asking people to please nominate entrepreneurs, startups, uh, people in the innovation sector that you believe are worthy of, of, of receiving um, some recognition, and you can get that at hbca.org. So it's an open nominations uh, process. I mean, certainly there will be evaluation and judging um, after the fact, but right now you're looking for a really good cross-section of people who are successful or represent the best of what uh, the startup ecosystem has to offer. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I, I will uh, definitely put that up on our show notes later on tonight. And, and Melly, you do a great job of doing the uh, HVCA award luncheon because I think it is bringing recognition to the people out there that are actually in the trenches doing, doing a lot of the work. So that's a, that's a great job and good, uh, good, good work on your, on your part. Thank you. So give us a – okay, so it's going to be on Monday for the luncheon. It's going to be over at the uh, uh, Plaza Club. Um, yes. What time and, and uh, where can people go to sign up? Yeah, so Monday, December 12th, 1130 um, is at the Plaza Club where the lunch will be. Our uh, keynote with Governor Ige will begin at noon, at which point um, after that will be the panel, which he will be participating on as well. And they can get tickets at hvca.org. Very good. Fantastic. (laughs) Well, (laughs) thanks, Millie, for joining us. All right. Thanks, you guys. Thank you, you Millie. Okay. Bye-bye. Aloha. Okay. Of course, now we've got Cindy, who's here live in the studio, and she's going to tell us about a cool effort initiative. Uh, it's a project, I think, that it has has uh, has some great aspirations. It's called Tech Hire, and we want Cindy to tell us more about it. Welcome to the show, Cindy. Hi. Thanks for having me. Sure. So we've heard Robbie Melton, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the president over at the, the High Tech Development Corporation, talk about things like 8080 and, you know, mm-hmm. 80,000 new jobs at 80000 Dollars a year, and then there's this, you know, the federal initiative called Tech Hire, mm-hmm. which is a, an, I think, an initiative to get people sort of positioned to get into some of these tech jobs. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Tell us where are we at? Because I know we've had you on before, just to sort of announce Tech Hire. Mm-hmm. But where are we since the last time we had this conversation? So we got the designation in March. Mm-hmm. So we're still early on, relatively mm-hmm. <laughs> early on. Um, but we've partnered with Dev League, mm-hmm. who has been awesome. So we count their graduates as because it's promoting non-traditional training in the tech field. And so Dev League has been a great partner as well as PCAT. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to mention, yeah, because if you are thinking about pathways that students could come mm-hmm. through to become, uh, let's say, more equipped to fill some of these positions, PCAT is another organization that does a good job of, of you know, getting people job ready. Job ready, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
So the latest thing is that Hawaii got selected to be a test pilot for their new platform. So the nationwide initiative put together a platform to help employers de-risk interviewing mm-hmm. and considering these non-traditionally trained candidates. So it's at techhire.careers and candidates who don't have like a four-year ICS degree are encouraged to apply if they're self-taught, if they went to a boot camp or community college, they can apply and they'll be tested on their technical skills and also their soft skills or work skills or mm-hmm. I don't know what the latest word is for mm-hmm. that. And that's actually through an interview with an HR person on this platform. And once they pass those two hurdles, then they'll be sent to the employers on our side who are looking at these candidates. So you're you're developing, I mean, this platform is a, a national rollout of this platform? Well, right now it's a pilot. So we're one of six tech hire hubs mm-hmm. that are testing it out. And so it's it's like a beta. And so they're looking for feedback, but it's, it's functioning. Mm-hmm. And so we can sign up job seekers and employers, which is what we've been so doing. So it, it really kind of functions as a, a sort of a clearinghouse. You want to get people to actually sign up, mm-hmm. create the pool of potential hirees, right? And then try to see how they might flow into the pipeline of actually getting hired. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And because they've passed these hurdles already, it's less risky, I think, for employers who want to hire software developers because they know at least they meet a certain baseline qualification. Mm-hmm. 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 So can you um, remind me again how the interviews with HR people fit into this in terms of is it a pre-qualification part or, or you know, to, to be able to to be on the platform or is it once you've joined the platform you, you go through this kind of uh, program. Exactly. So as a job seeker, you register on the site and you go through a technical skills testing, mm. which I think is done by HackerRank. And then once you've passed that, then you schedule an interview with one of their volunteer tech HR people and you go through the interview. And if they think that you've got the chops or soft skills, then you move on to the candidate list that the employers see. So the on, the on, I can see the online evaluation of your technical skills when you have this um, one-on-one, I would imagine, with a, with an interviewer. Is that someone here, or is it part of what the whole platform does for all of these pilots? It's the national the Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are, uh, let's say, registered on this platform, this website, and you have, uh, let's say, how do you designate what it is that you are most potentially qualified to seek as far as far as a job goes i mean so let's say i would put my name in there uh how do i designate what it is that i feel i'm more qualified for to actually get the hr person to ask me the right questions because i don't want to go on and then all of a sudden they're asking me questions about python or something and you know i wasn't i wasn't equipped i, I would be more inclined to answer questions about fortran or something <laughs> but, but that's you know, a hot skill yeah that's a hot plus. that's a hot skill but you know you know what i'm saying right so how do you designate mm-hmm. what it is that you have an expertise in so that the hr person could ask you the right sort of questions so i the hr person will look at your profile that you build mm-hmm. and you can choose a language that you're most proficient in and then they'll look at your results from your hacker rank and you can also put up your github profile and you can also post projects so it just is more information for the HR person Mm -hmm. as well as the employer 
They'll see all of this. So I can see certainly how every Devley graduate would want to participate and people coming out of the PCAT program or the programs at Honolulu Community College. Um, How open is this pilot in terms of, say, our listeners who might be job seekers with technical backgrounds? It's open to everybody. And that's the thing. I wanted to come on because I wasn't sure how to find the self-taught people. Because I know there's so much information online that you can do free lessons to learn how to code. Mm-hmm. And you can get pretty proficient just mm-hmm. on your own. Mm-hmm. And so those are the people that I'd like to reach and have them apply. Now, with Tech Hire, are you, you know, I, it sounds like you're focusing on coders. Is that something that has a stronger emphasis? Or if you were, let's say, proficient in doing, uh, let's say, Cisco networking, uh, is that something that would be... A, a job seeker might want to apply or put their name into this pool, uh, given that hacker rank, ha- hacker rank isn't going to ask you about, you know, your Networking. your CCNA, right? Mm-hmm. They're gonna if they're gonna stick to coding questions. Somebody that's doing uh, networking isn't going to be that mm-hmm. comfortable with that. So, mm-hmm. are we are we getting very specific with? You know, with Tech Hire? Yes. So this platform, the pilot version, is specifically for software devs. So it's for entry-level software developer positions. And then I'm hoping once they start to roll out that they'll start adding different positions, different Okay, okay. I'm glad you clarified that because I was thinking it was more of a a general. Not yet. Okay, so it's very specific around the Mm -hmm. type of jobs. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. And how ready is it for the employer side or the potential recruiter side? Or we're really starting more on building the talent pool? It's ready. I mean, the site's been up. Okay. Well, I guess, are you asking about um, are there employers out there that are ready to look at your pool? Do you have that? Sort of in queue? I do. So oh. I've been reaching out to the CIO council, mm-hmm. and Dev League has a really good list yeah. of employers that right. I've been kind of going through and inviting them to join. Okay. Because I know they're already open to hiring right, absolutely. Dev League students. We did. My, com- my company did actually as well. Awesome. Well, very good, Cindy. Now, at the risk of us not asking you on again, because we probably will ask you on again, to talk about the holiday tech fair, can you give us a little bit of a teaser for that coming up? Sure. It's always awesome. Um, it's going to be at the Japanese Cultural Center of Hawaii on mm-hmm. December 8th. And it also December 28th. 28th. Did I say December 8th? December 28th. That's Very right. good. It's yes. a Wednesday, and mm-hmm. it's also the last Wednesday of the month. So it's also a Wet Wear Wednesday. Very nice. Well, I think we'll probably feature that in an upcoming show later this yeah, month. Yeah, well, so be prepared for another call to... Come on down. So if somebody was interested in this uh, tech hire, this new platform, and to get their skills assessed, where do they go? They can go to techhire.careers. Techhire.careers. And we'll put that in our show notes at bitemarkscafe.org. Very good. Thanks, Cindy, for joining us. I'm looking for employers, too. Don't forget. Okay, well, we'll we'll get those guys to sign up. (laughs) Thank you so much. Of course, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Janelle Curtis from the AUVSI Foundation and... Mickey Tomita from the Polynesian Voyaging Society to talk about RoboNation. How can Hawaii students get involved with technology and the exploration of the ocean? Of course, we'd love your thoughts or questions. As part of that conversation, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or reach us toll-free from the neighbor islands by calling 877-941-3689. And, of course, you can also tweet us your questions at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. I have got you. Be sure to tune in on Sunday afternoon at 5 for Sinatra, the man in the music. We'll talk with arranger Neil Hefty and guitarist Al Viola. 
and hear the song Sinatra recorded for his reprise album, Sinatra and Swing and Brass. I'm Guy Steele, inviting you to join me for Sinatra, the man in the music, Sunday at 5 on Hawaii Public Radio. Inspired by Hawaiian musicians of the 19th and early 20th century, Luthier Kylan Reese has created a new stringed instrument he calls the Tiple Inaletto. We'll hear it live in our studio, along with some holiday music with a French accent from Escargot. And we'll continue our last job in Hawaii series. That's tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today are Janelle Curtis and Miki Tomita. Janelle, join the AUVSI Foundation and RoboNation in December of uh, 2015 as the Director of Programs and Development, where she has been engaged with programs such as RobotX, RoboSub, RoboBoat, SeaGlide, and SeaPerch. Miki, meanwhile, is the Director of the Polynesian Voyaging Society Learning Center, the Education Resource Center for the PBS and the Malama Honua Worldwide Voyage, underway now a voyaging crew member as well, and has a Ph.D. in education from Stanford. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and that's some of the aspirations. Uh, of course, what are some of the aspirations for this collaboration? We want to find out. Of course, uh, we'd love to hear your questions and comments. And that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Welcome. Well, to start off, we want to—we uh, don't want to confuse our listeners with all these acronyms, but please, Janelle, tell us, what is this AUVSI Foundation? What does that stand for? <laughs> yeah, it's a little alphabet soup, isn't it? Yes, AUVSI sure is. stands for Association for Unmanned Vehicle Systems International Foundation is where I work. Uh, and uh, we work for... We do STEM education, supporting STEM education and uh, robotics in the unmanned and um, autonomous vehicles world. Mm -hmm. And we have a sister organization that focuses more on supporting the industry. And so your foundation is a nonprofit, right? Correct. And then all of these uh, programs that I just mentioned, you know, RobotX, you got RoboSub, RoboBoat. We featured SeaPerch. Yeah, SeaPerch. And and we've we've done news things about SeaGlide. We haven't seen any competition around SeaGlide. But but these are competitions that your foundation is sort of involved in, in terms of promoting and... We promote them, yes, but we also manage all of those programs. Mm-hmm. So we act, our staff actually works with a number of partners to put them on, uh, and we work with the schools to get the teams you know, excited, and we've got technical staff that creates all the tasks and the missions that the vehicles are supposed to go through. Oh, okay, okay, great. Mm-hmm. So if uh, the next time that we see a sea perch competition and the, the actual tasks that they have to do really comes from your foundation— it comes from our foundation, working with uh, a number of partners, uh, 
Navy and other com- com- companies, not countries, companies mm-hmm. that you know sponsor and yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. So um, Janelle, I mean, it's not uncommon for either a company or for an industry group like the AUVSI to have an attached foundation focused on educational initiatives. Can you talk a little bit uh, before we go on in terms of how that uh, interacts? Like, I would imagine the interest in education is because you need to bring up people who have the passion, interest, talents, and skills that could work with the industries in the in the in the. Uh, trade organization and the things that they need to do to succeed in business. Exactly. It's it's all about creating the next generation, the next workforce, and uh, really creating well-informed and highly skilled students. And we, we don't want the brain drain, uh, but we also really want very motivated and, and inspired students to be coming up into this this industry. Well, you know, we'll definitely get more into the uh, the actual competition and some of the underwater robotics uh, uh, um, technology, I guess, that uh, you folks are supporting. But I do want to talk to Mickey a little bit about all the cool things that are happening with the Hokulea and the Polynesian Voyaging Society. And I think, Mickey, first off, uh, give us an update. What are those What are those guys doing in Miami or Florida? Let me put Florida. <laughs> Mahalo. Yeah. So the crew is, um, they just arrived in Miami and... This particular leg of the voyage um, brought Hokulea out of her dry dock in Virginia, um, which was her last big push to be ready for her um, her journey home. Um, and so the canoe is currently in Miami with their crew, captained by Kalapa Babayan. Um, the next crew is leaving in just a little while, and that crew will actually be the crew that takes Hokulea uh, from Miami to Panama, mm. where she'll be crossing through the Panama Canal on her way home through the Pacific side um, and doing the long road home from Rapa Nui, Marquesas, Tahiti, and Hawaii. Now, this uh, worldwide voyage has been going on for some time. There's a great app in the App Store that you can use mm-hmm. to follow their progress, and I'm glad that that's been seeing some traction. This stop in Miami just just a few days ago, I think, when they arrived, I, I saw some pictures online, was the end of, was that the East Coast leg of the journey? Yeah, so we've actually been, um, our first touch to Florida was in the Everglades, where we celebrated um, our um, a cultural exchange with the Seminoles and the Mikisuki being the first of the indigenous tribes that we engaged. At this point of the voyage up and down the East Coast, we actually um, made an effort to and think that we um, we met the um, the demand that we put upon ourselves to respect all of our First Nations um, mm. families on the way up and down the East Coast, all the way up to Canada and Nova Scotia and back down. Um, so the canoe has been there since March um, on the East Coast. And um, went into dry dock, celebrated World Oceans Day at the United that's Nations right, in New right. York, um, D.C. with our delegates, um, and is on its way home. So the, um, you know, Hikianalia is a companion canoe, right? And has that been right. sort of following along with the uh, Hokulea? And where is the Hikianalia? Sure, that's a great question. I actually just sailed on Hikianalia the other day. Um, so Hikianalia is currently in Hawaii. She's actually at Sand Island, where mm-hmm. Robot X will be taking place. Uh-huh. Um, and she is um, currently being utilized for crew training. We had this decision that um, Nainoa and the rest of our leadership made, which was, do we think about um, really voyaging to the West Coast, which was part of our plan for Hikianalia, 
Or do we stay home and train new captains, really look at our goals of succession leadership, engage educators? So just this past week, we had several educators and their students come down to the canoe. We've um, been working with our scientists that help us with our science program. And we've had crew training that helps us to build our succession plan for voyaging. Mm -hmm. So that's what Hikiana Lia has been doing at home. She did sail around all of the islands this past year. And she will be joining Hokulea um, on her way home via the Marquesas. So when does this uh, this next leg through Panama begin? When can we start uh, being on board and, and tracking that progress? So um, my understanding, uh, you know, and subject to weather, and yeah, <laughs> always does, um, is that the Panama leg is expected to, the engagement in Panama is probably in Balboa and will be in like the first, second week of January. Wow. And so backwards mapping, they'll be leaving out of Miami um, probably towards the later part of December. You know, they do have a live stream of boats going through the Panama Canal, mm-hmm. and I hope you post it when it becomes available for uh, Hokulea passing through because it's great to watch. I, I just yeah. love watching those ships kind of well, you know, rise we, in the water. We have a live tracking map that uh-huh. tracks our progress every 15 minutes, and so that's what we tell people. Sometimes um, people that are on our website at odd hours know before we do when the canoe is moving and where she is. Mm-hmm. And so I think you know we're hoping to use that as a way to spread the word about when she can when she's going through the Panama Canal and how people can find her. Great. Now you know we've had both um, representatives from PBS as well as from robotics, the robotic competitions on the show. and But we've never had both of them on at kind of at the same time. So one of the things I wanted to explore was where is that sort of intersection between the sort of traditional wayfaring and what the Worldwide Voyage is all about and the actual idea of robotics and, and the robotics, on you know, whether it's surface or underwater competitions, where does that sort of meet. So Janelle, tell us, how did you guys kind of hook up? Well, we, because we're out on Sand Island, and of course that is where uh, PVS's home base is, uh, we, as we were looking at the venue and meeting uh, the the folks who are around, um, our executive director, Gerald Davidson, had a chance to meet with uh, Mickey and learn a little bit about PVS and the Hokulea and we're asking the question, I think, and Mickey was there, so I'll let her tell it. But my understanding <laughs> is just there; it doesn't seem like a natural, you know, connection because you're looking at traditional wayfinding, right, and ancient navigation, and this next generation high tech autonomous vehicles, right? So it's it seems like polar opposites. But we were actually just talking about this, and really, autonomous vehicles is is really since systems integration mm-hmm. and you think about as a human being as a as a navigator you're using all your senses and integrating them in order to find your way and to make decisions about where to go and make sure you're on the right path um, and anticipate um, you know the need to change direction or not change direction and that's for me all of a sudden this light went on and I thought huh Interesting. <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to be the provocateur, but, you know, I, I, what happens if you have been so successful with the technology that the people that have learned the traditional ways of, of wayfinding are no longer needed? And, and is that the risk that we run with this technology becoming so capable that, you know, we'll soon see driverless Driverless canoes. I mean, we're going to see driverless cars, right? So, what's, I mean, can we 
support well i don't want to be that provocative but i mean you know <laughs> how, how do we how do we balance the this you know this sort of onslaught of technology but being respectful for the the cultural and the experience and the expertise that was built up over generations sure so um I think that one of the really amazing opportunities that we saw in thinking about where technology has led us and, and where the the power of the human mind might go is that it actually channels a lot of the ancient and traditional knowledge that has been stored up for generations within people, within mo'olelo or stories, mm. within the archaeological record, within the geographic record, within the oceanographic record. All of that is there for us as data sets. Um, you know, our navigators channel that. I was explaining to Janelle that um, Nainoa, you know, my, my boss, my teacher, talks about how he takes thousands and thousands of observations every day as even just a novice navigator um, to constantly course correct, to constantly process that information and ask yourself, are you on the right course? Are we being responsive to our environment? Are we really taking care of our crew? And I think that one of the things that um, that the technology allows us to do is be- we become more capable, but it also allows us to focus on our values. And so the technology kinds of frees up that muscle memory, you know, data processing mm. stuff, but it allows us to really focus on are we caring for people the way that we should? Are we caring for our oceans? Are we using the technology to help us find new solutions to the challenges of today? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where this really amazing potential comes in, where where Polynesian Voyaging Society has always been about promoting experiential learning and about understanding wayfinding as not just an art and science, but also as a mindset and a worldview. And so we see these as very powerful, powerful opportunities. Mm-hmm. So Janelle talked about that moment. I mean, I, 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 not to, to further belabor Bert's question, but certainly when you talk about uh, robotics and automation and then you talk about the human factor, those, those cultural stories that are passed down, um, I would imagine that the largest overlap in terms of the missions of both the foundation, the AUVSI Foundation, and uh, the Polynesian Voyaging Society is, is is education. You know, it's kind of not just perpetuation, but probably fostering that mindset to think creatively to be ready for the future, correct? Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that we were just talking about was that um, the the mission of the voyage of Malamo Honua and also of, of Hokulea is to inspire and is to inspire people to explore and to look beyond the horizon to what you cannot actually see, but you can only envision with your mind's eye. And so it's really this reach into what is possible. And it takes all kinds of technology, whether it's ancient technology, contemporary technology, technology that has not yet even been created to really see ourselves to that destination. And it's all about exploration and innovation and about creativity um, and excitement. And I feel like that's part of the overlap. Well, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm, it's great to hear that from you, and I think that uh, you, the P, you know, PVS is a great example of how technology can be sort of woven into the fabric of how we proceed. Right now, <clears throat> the um, you know, a lot of the tech industry in Silicon Valley is being criticized for lacking empathy, and I think that uh, what is really important, and I think a message that I think uh, PVS could help continue to to um, advance is the idea that you have to be true to the culture, you have to be true to the knowledge that came before. And how do you kind of keep staying on that balance as you move forward into the future? Because 
right now, in, you know, in the sort of near future, right, you can see the, the tech transfer and the, you know, the knowledge transfer that's going on. But, you know, if you look, project like 100 years down the road, will we still have traditional wayfinders? Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, I mean, does, and I'm, well, maybe I've already answered the question, but, you know, <laughs> is PVS sort of the, um, the, the beacon in the night that is going to be helping us kind of guide our way through this balance that I'm referring to? Yeah, I think Hokulea, Nainoa Thompson, Polynesian Voyaging Society, and the rest of our leadership, we're all part of a very large network that maybe Hokulea, in her conception, inception, and her launch, helped to start. She mm-hmm. was a catalyst for much of this revival of wayfinding, celestial navigation, traditional knowledge, but it has spread all over the world. Um, and so there is a large network that I think is working on what does a traditional, what does traditional knowledge look like in a contemporary society? What does wayfinding look like in this modern age? How can we, how can we represent our ancient and traditional and indigenous selves in a 21st century or 22nd century mm-hmm. way? Mm-hmm. I think those are all the things that we struggle with, but it's so exciting to think that the possibility is there. And it's exciting to think that we can bring these stories of the ancestors into classrooms and to learners of all ages and help them really navigate what is their cultural pathway? What were their ancestors so gifted to know and to be able to pass down from generation to generation? And how mm-hmm. do we use that to chart a new course for the future? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Janelle from the AUVSI side, I know that autonomous uh, vehicle development is is both it's across the board. It's aerial, it's mm-hmm. on land and in the water. But the, the programs that we've highlighted are certainly focused on the ocean. Um, and I, and that's obviously where the, the parallels or the connections with Polyne- Polynesian Voyaging Society makes sense. Can you help me understand, uh, is there anything particular to these uh, water-based uh, technologies that um, that that set it apart from when we're thinking about driverless cars or, or drones in the air. Yeah, so so we certainly do have a lot of programs that are focused on maritime robotics. We are also we also do programs with you know ground vehicles and aerial vehicles. And what is great about RobotX is that it's integrating several aspects. Um, where it's a surface vehicle and underwater as well. But I think that. Um, a lot of what is different about the competitions that we're doing are particularly our marine competitions is that there is a there is obviously a focus on technology in terms of you know finding being able to have these boats that can go out and do surveying or uh, you know that they can detect that they can patrol possibly and uh, but there's also this aspect of using these types of vehicles to help learn more about our ocean because mm. there's so much that we don't know it's massive and and there are areas that humans cannot go yet and maybe shouldn't go uh, there's it's a lot of manpower it's a lot of hours it's it's expensive and you think about the um, even if you're sailing uh, you've got to have a lot of provisions and so there's ways where I think we can learn an enormous about enormous amount about our oceans and therefore be able to be better stewards be able to help conserve um, you know there's there's a lot of unfortunately there's sad, right? There's a lot of animals um, and marine animals out there who are suffering because of polluted waters, because of environment. And 
using unmanned vehicles or uh, autonomous vehicles, we can collect a lot of data uh, and learn and then be able to adjust and and address and hopefully solve a lot of these issues and problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, in terms of uh, some of the programs, I guess, that would result, because it's not just it's not just the R- Robot X competition, right? I mean, you're involved with some STEM education. and, and Yes. And uh, Mickey, you're an educator as well. So I want to hear both of your takes on the STEM aspect of both of your organizations and how does that kind of fit in. But but that is just a tease because <laughs> we will take a break. So we want you to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with both Janelle Curtis and Mickey Tomita about RoboNation the Polynesian Voyaging Society, and, of course, we'll talk about STEM. Sure, and, of course, we'd love to hear from you as well. You can tweet us or give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. The White House issued some new rules on overtime pay. A federal judge said, hold on a sec, but companies are now in a bind. Those employers are going to be pretty hard-pressed to take those salaries back down. I'm Kai Rizdal. Might get messy. That story, the day's numbers from Wall Street, and the rest of the day's business news as well next time on Marketplace. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe. North Star musician Ron Artis may be known for his prowess on guitar, but on Saturday, December 17th, he returns to HPR's Atherton studio to perform original songs on his first love, the piano. Reserve your seats now for Ron Artis and Friends, December 17th at 7.30 p.m. Visit hprtickets.org or call 955-8821 during regular business hours. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership, Wealth Management. Welcome back to Bike Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. Oh, and of course, uh, <laughs> Ryan. And we're talking to uh, Janelle Curtis and Mickey Tomita about driving STEM education and exploration of the ocean. And of course, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or 877-941-369 from the neighbor islands or reach us on Twitter. Of course. And of course, you know, right before the break, we kind of set up this great tease to talk a little bit about STEM because mm-hmm. both of you have uh, a, 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 an important part to play in your respective organizations, uh, one being PVS and Mickey, you know, being part of the sort of the learning center. And, of course, uh, with the AUVSI Foundation, you know, with all the robotics programs, I want to hear a little bit about how you feel uh, STEM plays a role and how your organizations will advance sort of the STEM and educational connection between both of the traditional side as well as the sort of technology side? Well, of course, in a high-tech industry, education is huge. I mean, you need students to stay in math and... And you need them to stay in science, and and you've got to you've got to build that base of knowledge. But we also want them to be excited to stay in math and science. <laughs> we want them to be able to learn. We want them to see and visualize what they can utilize these skills for, and how they can build their careers in it. And so, we have a whole pipeline of of programs and opportunities of engagement through what we have built um, under RoboNation. RoboNation is is our community. Of course, it's much easier to 
think about RoboNation and a big community around building robotics excitement uh, as opposed to Alphabet Soup of AUVSI Foundation. There, it's very important. It's who we are. Uh, but as far as engaging uh, you know, the younger generation, uh, we feel ro- RoboNation. So you'll hear, you'll hear that. Okay, that that's us. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so we've got uh, kits that we do it's called C-Perch, which is our entry level really geared towards elementary school and middle school students to start learning what is a robot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mm-hmm. build out of a, a kit using PVC pipes and you know little 35-millimeter canisters, and they learn how to solder, and they learn how to put this together, and then they get to drive it. It's a remote-operated vehicle, so it's an ROV. It's not autonomous mm-hmm. yet, but it's building blocks. It's that mm-hmm. stepping stone. You go to our new program called SeaGlide. You mentioned mm-hmm. you'd heard about it, which is great. It's brand new. We just rolled it out this fall. But it is an autonomous vehicle. It's made out of a water bottle. It's a kit that students put together similar to Perch. But this one has programming elements, and it is, uh, it is the entry, the gateway to, uh, to learning about how autonomous vehicles and unmanned vehicles work. And uh, it's a platform for students to think about, oh, what kind of data do I want to collect? They can collect temperature information, and they can put a GoPro on there and observe visually a, an environment. And it's really a way to get them to think outside the box. It's a platform for them to to be inspired by what does it mean to learn about autonomous vehicles and mm-hmm. how do I do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the competitions, of course, mm-hmm. um, are the next level. So it's it's just really about creating that engagement and following that through and inspiring students to stay in this industry. And Miki for the Polynesian Voyaging Society, I, mean, I mentioned the app, although you know that's an independent thing, but it is a way for tech-savvy students and, and people to follow the progress of the voyage and, and, and learn about many of the things that it covers. But uh, obviously for uh, the for Hokulea and for, the, for your society, technology is not something that you're taking an oppositional position to. It is also part of the, the mission that you're undertaking, correct? That is exactly right. You know, one of the things that um, – one of the first quotes that I remember hearing Nainoa say is that the, the Polynesian voyaging canoe was the um, – was the spaceship of the ancestors. You know, it was the highest, most sophisticated technology that existed in thousands of years. And it was an application of every every idea, every um, every bit of knowledge that that Polynesians gathered up until that point to build that canoe, to sail it across the deep ocean, to populate the largest, you know, the the largest ocean space, smallest land masses on the earth, um, and to do it well before the rest of the world. And I think that even in that, you can take a STEM lens and, and look at, you know, what was the science and, and how was the technology? What was the engineering behind it? What was the mathematics? How did that all play together to really bring people across oceans to carry culture, to carry values? And so that's an ancient STEM. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that there are obviously modern STEM applications and integration with Hikianalia being a 21st century va'a, solar powered electric motors, you know, all kinds of interesting things, satellites being um, being installed on the canoe so that we can live stream from the middle of the ocean in right. ways that no one had ever heard of before. So there's all these new and amazing technologies that have been 
that have been introduced even since we launched the Worldwide Voyage that we are currently using. And we're going to continue to grow, continue to stay on that cutting edge, continue to apply those and to demonstrate how they can be used in a voyaging mindset. It's the culture and the values of voyaging that drive us in our application of those concepts. Um, and from a pre-K to 20 perspective, mm. you know, we have so many teachers, so many professors, so many students that are using all the lessons learned from the voyage and from voyaging to, to better their understanding and their representation of the world. We're talking to Miki Tomita of the Polynesian Voyages Society, as well as Janelle Curtis from the AUVSI Foundation about the intersection of traditional wayfinding and autonomous and future robotics and STEM education. If you've got a question or a comment, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. You can also tweet us on Twitter. We have perhaps a slightly uh, side-relevant question. I believe this is for you, Mickey, from Kate in Hilo. She wants to know how you feel that the new Disney film Moana did in portraying uh, traditional wayfinding. And I mean, in terms of making it relevant to modern audiences, certainly even the movie itself was a display of technology in many ways. Um, Did you, not that we're asking you for a movie review, but would you say that it was a positive contribution to the broader cause? Well, first, mahalo to Kate for that question. Um, I think that one of the really amazing opportunities that exists with Moana is that it piques people's interest and maybe introduces voyaging to an audience that had not heard of Hokulea or knew of the story of Polynesian navigation. And so there's, there's that very amazing opportunity that exists for us right now to help show people what Polynesian wayfinding, what traditional voyaging was like, what it's currently being practiced, you know, showcasing that we're using this technology now to sail the Earth's ocean. Um, In terms of the actual, um, you know, the opportunity that existed with the beautiful music and the Mm -hmm. beautiful imagery and the technology, I mean, Disney really did present us with this um, wonderful story of of empowerment, of culture. Um, It not specifically tied to any Pacific or Polynesian culture, which was, um, I think, in some ways, it allowed for a lot of the imagination Mm -hmm. and a lot of the storytelling to really come to life. Um, And again, we're just really grateful because we have had a lot of people asking questions about it. And we're so happy to be able to share our resources around how do you learn about making a course or a sail plan? How do you learn about reading the swells and the sun and the stars? And so all of that is really part of an amazing journey that Moana has helped us to um, to lengthen and to amplify our message. So Excellent. that sounds like a pretty good sort of thumbs up for the show. <laughs> My daughter really loved it. Okay, good. And good. she mentioned how much she misses being on a canoe. And so I think it took that Disney to bring her back to, wow, this is something that I really miss and I love doing. And definitely well, you have a very unique opportunity to explore in a way that you couldn't in another city or in another state, for sure. Well, I did want to ask you, uh, Mickey, about how would somebody who is in the Sea Perch competition, and I've seen the competitions and, you know, the kids are very intense on getting their (laughs) robot to perform the duties that it should perform. But where is the sort of the traditional or the, the, you know, the traditional knowledge part of it in the process of their actually going into the competition? Is that something that happens in the classroom? And I, I sort of miss it because I'm watching the competition. You know, just the competition. So where does that take place? 
You know, I think one of the most amazing um, applications of CPERCH that I saw as a teacher, I was uh, visiting another teacher's class, was that um, the, the lessons and the challenges were introduced to help monitor and to help collect data about environmental resources. And so all of the mo'olelo of place, all of the stories of the quality of the stream, the Hawaiian names, the um, the species that existed there in song, in chant, in stories, all of that was translated into can we use this technology to find it oh. in this most polluted, most you know transformed environment, contemporary, can we find these um, these memories and mm-hmm. can we bring it back to the surface? Can we restore the environmental resources and the cultural resources of this place? And so I really loved that I saw the students doing that and that was part of their challenge. It was, you know, I remember Nainoa speaking to our friends in Silicon Valley when some of them, there's the, you know, the top engineers and programmers and all of these people that were just so amazing and we're in awe of the work that they do and they said that Nainoa's story and the story of Hokulea not only brings them to tears, but is the moral compass that helps guide the work mm. that they do. Because they can program and design anything, right? They can invent new technologies, but it's what direction do you want to point in? Mm-hmm. And are we really helping to create a better earth? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's where the RoboNation and, and all of the applications that are that are being offered for kids to participate in, I feel like that's part of that process. That's oh, very good. Well that's, you, know, you renewed my, my faith in <laughs> humanity. Now, um, Janelle, tell us a little bit about Robot X because that's coming up pretty quick in the next uh, couple of weeks, right? It is. In fact, our staff is here setting up on Sand Island right now, and Robot X is, of course, our high-level, very high-level research competition for mostly geared towards university and graduate students. Uh, And we we are starting, uh, students are starting on the 11th. They're getting in the water at noon on Sunday. We're really excited. Uh, They're they're arriving on uh, actually going to have a talk from Mickey to learn a little bit about why and the how mm. and what this can go towards and and creating that that you know sense of of effect positive effect right mm-hmm. and how what they can be doing so we the students will get in the water on Sunday they will have an opportunity to adjust their boats and go through some qualifications we've got three full courses which is great uh, it's the the biggest we've done. This is only the second year. Uh, I don't for for those of you who are not familiar with Robot X, this is only the second year we're doing this competition. It is a biennial competition. Mm. First year was in Singapore in 2014, uh, and uh, we are are really excited because a lot of our teams are back. Uh, we have 13 teams from five countries that will be here and we're excited to see what some of the new teams are bringing to the table. University of Hawaii uh, Manoa is going to be competing as well. And I are know they, they, are are they a new team or are they returning? They team? are a new team. They're a new team. They oh. are. They are and I know they've been hard at work. I just saw actually a video of them testing their boat in the water and they're getting excited uh, and we've got, you know, Schools from Japan and Singapore and Korea uh, and Australia that will be here joining te- six teams from the U.S. as well. Well, I, I want to find out more about, you know, like when's the day to see the actual competition. But I, I want to give uh, Darren a chance to ask his questions. Welcome to the show, Darren. Hey, thank you for taking my call. I, I had a question. Yeah, uh, from Hawaii, right? So we're, we're curious, like, how does the AUVSI actually impact the state of Hawaii? And also more like globally, like the, the actual Pacific Rim, what do we see like the international partners and uh, especially the West Coast mainland? 
how do we all going to participate in AUVSI and, and what the future of robotics and STEM education? How do we increase that? Fantastic well, question. Great. That's a great setup for Janelle. Uh, so in Hawaii, uh, we we are really hoping to leave a positive impact with STEM education. There's a lot in robotics going on right now. Uh, of course, Sea Perch, but also um, just in general, utilizing the the robotics vehicles and autonomous vehicles, aerial and in the water, to like I said have a positive effect on agriculture, for instance. Uh, I know there's a lot of research going on right now uh, in agriculture and also oceanography. Mm-hmm. Um, so really bringing a lot of positive attention to that. And as far as globally, uh, you know, there's really what RoboX uh, was designed for was to create that uh, global community and, and information sharing between universities, between uh, countries, and building uh, a global society of um, innovation and utilizing the knowledge to advance uh, and, and create, uh, you know, more partnerships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But both the AUVSI, the industry group, as well as RoboNation or the foundation are membership organizations. They do, and they have already organized events and are continuing to, like Sea Perch. And if I would, I hope I'm not speaking out of a turn to say that they are open to finding corporate partners here in Hawaii, absolutely. finding volunteers <laughs> to help with events. I mean, so uh, absolutely jump in and become part of that uh, broader conversation. Please do. And by all means, come down. The competition is open all week. So starting on, on Sunday the 11th all the way through Sunday the 18th, we will be at uh, Sand Island Boat Launch and, uh, in conjunction with uh, the Honolulu Community College's Marine Education Tech Training. Marine Education Training Center, mm-hmm. METC. Uh, and we would love to have everyone come out and see what's going on. The finals take place on the 18th. Uh, and so that's going to be the big day. We also have a hands-on uh, STEM exhibit that will happen on Saturday and Sunday, the 17th and 18th, which is going to be great for students to come down and get a sense for what you can do. We've got a lot of partners coming out, Maui Economic Development Board and uh, UH SOEST uh, will be there with hands-on as well as Sea Perch and Sea Glide, so you can actually drive one of those Sea Perches around yourself. So Great. 17 and 18 sound like the days to, to yeah. head on. They down. are the days. And and Mickey, uh, is where does um, the sort of PVS? Where what? I guess where are you guys? fitting into this competition mm-hmm. that's happening over at San Island? It's a great question. So during the, the public days, the I mean, they're all public days, but on the days where there is a focus on outreach on the 17th and 18th, we'll be participating by um, having volunteers talk about the voyage, talk about some of the applications that we see that uh, combine STEM understandings and cultural understandings around voyaging. Um, and we also are helping to, with some of the other partners in education talk about how each of these different components or levels within RoboNation really fits into what it means to understand oceans, technology, how voyaging can fit in at each of those levels, how exploration is really at the heart of both of our um, our endeavors. And so that's kind of, we're multi-layered, nice. physically on the ground, 17th and 18th, and then we'll be there to talk about PVS, the voyage, and, and our we'll, voyaging canoes. Very we'll good. try to make we'll, it. We'll definitely, yeah, and put up, the, we'll put up the show uh, links uh, during of the uh, <laughs> in our show notes later on tonight. Janelle Curtis is with Robo Nation. Of course, Miki Tomita is with the Polynesian Voyaging Society. I want to thank you both for joining us today. 
Thank you so much for having us. And, you know, I just want to tell everybody you can keep following The Voyage, hokulea.com. Track us live, see our announcements, sign up for our newsletters, and you get all the updates every day. Yeah, thanks for having us. You can uh, find out more information about RobotX at RobotX.org and more about our organization as a whole at Robonation.org. And for those of you not in Hawaii, you can follow the finals on our live webcast on Sunday. Fantastic. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week and we'll explore the flow of Maui's groundwater on the coastal marine ecosystem. And of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. You can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chung and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And of course, we want to leave you with our song pick of the week in the last five seconds. Here's Caspian with a song called Hymn for the Greatest Generation. Shout out to all the survivors from Pearl Harbor. <laughs> 